Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the TIFF podcast. I'm Shamal Haroon. Non-communicable diseases are the dominant cause of morbidity and mortality in the UK and worldwide. These conditions are largely driven by behavioural risk factors such as smoking, drinking alcohol, poor diet and physical inactivity. The 2015 Health Survey for England found that 19% of men and 17% of women were smokers, 31% of men drank over 14 units of alcohol a week, 27% of adults were obese, and only 22% of children received enough physical activity. Millions of individuals with these risk factors come into contact with healthcare and other professionals on a day-to-day basis, and much can be done to encourage behaviour change to promote more positive lifestyles for health and well-being. I spoke to Jed Byrne, Janet Flint and Claire Cheminard to discuss this further. My name's Jed Byrne. I'm the Director of Education and Quality for Health Education England in the north of England, but also lead nationally on population health prevention and wellbeing. I'm Janet Flint and I'm the programme lead in the National Programmes team at Health Education England for population health and prevention. I'm Claire Shaminad and I'm Senior Project Manager for the Health Education England Population Health and Prevention National Team. Could you give the background on the importance of supporting behaviour change uh, for improving health in the health service and beyond? Well, it it doesn't take somebody like me uh, for us to realise that the health service and the British population is facing a big dilemma at the moment in terms of its uh, health strategy. Uh, As the population ages and as the cost of technology increases, There is a a gap uh, between what we can afford and what the population is requiring in terms of their health and well-being. Um, In order to uh, counteract this, uh, the NHS has produced the five-year forward view, uh, which describes over the course of this current government uh, how we are going to change healthcare to make it more affordable and of higher quality. There are three basic tenets to this. The first is a recognition that our population is changing. The second uh, is that uh, there is a a real need for us to uh, bring health and social care closer together. But the third and perhaps most important is recognising that the old ways of thinking about health, what I would call paternalistic health care, cannot continue if we wish to improve quality and take out cost. Um, The five-year forward view very firmly calls for us to uh, start to increase the understanding amongst our population of their own health and well-being and to get them to take responsibility for their health throughout their lives. In addition to this, uh, um, there's also a a real need for the population to uh, understand when it is appropriate to access the healthcare system. Now, it is very wrong for us to expect uh, the population who are not uh, involved in healthcare delivery on a day-to-day basis to understand how to do this. And so the responsibility for the workforce in healthcare is changing from one of a paternalistic responsibility to diagnose and treat disease 
into one which uh, promotes and advocates uh, health and well-being within uh, the population. Now, in order to do this, we have to recognise that when we come into contact with the population, we need to uh, have conversations which are very different from those that we historically deliver. So it's not so much about diagnosis, but it's about understanding uh, the individualised nature of that person's uh, living conditions and what needs to be done in order for them to take ownership of their own health uh, and to keep them as healthy and as well for as long as possible. Could you please provide a, a brief overview of what making every contact count is? Sure. So making every contact count is about improving health and well-being of populations um, by supporting people to make changes to their lifestyles, essentially through having healthy conversations. It's about developing the workforce to ensure that people uh, recognise opportunities to be able to raise awareness and to motivate people. Uh, it's also about embedding a culture of change, um, of prevention, so making public health everybody's business across health and social care and the wider workforce um, to support organisations as well to be able to empower their staff to have those conversations with the people that they're working with. And could you describe the differences between um, making every contact count, motivational interviewing, health coaching and other forms of behaviour change support? Absolutely. So, yes, making every contact count is one um, approach in a range of uh, programmes and interventions uh, designed to support people to improve their health and well-being. And that could be from prevention or self-care. And making every contact count would be uh, the entry level skills that everybody would benefit from having. So anybody could do some, some what we call MEC training uh, to have healthy conversations and what we call a very brief opportunistic uh, conversation. NICE guidance, um, the individual behaviour change, um, identifies four levels of, of behaviour change from a very brief intervention to a brief intervention, an extended uh, brief intervention, and then a high intensity intervention. So making every contact count would be the, the, the very entry um, just to support somebody in a couple of minutes. And that would be around raising awareness of uh, the benefits of improving their lifestyles and motivating people, whereas uh, motivational interviewing and health coaching and other approaches are more in depth and they would equip people, they would give them more skills and more training to be able to provide more support to people, potentially around um, goal setting and taking people that one step further on their, on their journey. Uh, essentially, the difference between them would be the roles that people are doing, so who people are working with, um, whether people are um, with pre-existing conditions, whether it's just preventative. It will also depend on the roles that they're working in, in terms of the amount of contact that they have with people. So some people will only have a couple of minutes and see people once and not again. Other people, such as physiotherapists, might see people repeatedly for maybe up to half an hour for a period of several weeks. And what 
What lifestyle factors are typically addressed? Health Education England, uh, we've been working with Public Health England over the last year or so to form a national group um, so we can get some consensus around MEC. Because I think before that, MEC really meant different things to different people and and individual national organisations were taking different approaches. Within the national group, uh, one of the things that we did was we came up with um, a definition which we could all sign up to as organisations. And what we said was that MEC is an approach to behaviour change that uses the millions of day-to-day interactions that organisations and individuals have with other people to support them in making positive changes to their physical and mental health and well-being. And what we said was um, that within the sort of core definition of MEC, we were talking about behaviour change in areas such as healthy lifestyles, healthy eating, diet, physical activity and smoking. Um, Those are the core, but we recognise that organisations are using MEC approaches differently and they might want to build on MEC by adding in other things such as housing and more sort of social aspects of behaviour change. So the typical areas that Making Every Contact Count would address in terms of uh, lifestyle would be uh, healthy eating, um, weight, physical activity, smoking, alcohol and and mental health. Um, But there are the wider determinants of health as well. So that could be around debt, that could be around housing. There are all of the other factors that um, impact on people's health and well-being. Within um, the MET group working group, we very much recognise that um, the principles behind MEC are based around um, behaviour change models, and in particular for MEC, a model that's known as COMBI, and that recognises that whether or not an individual will make a behaviour change is based on factors such as their capability to make that change, the opportunities around them to change behaviour, and their motivation to make the change. And that is a combination of all of those factors that that can lead to actual change. And certainly within MET, we recognise that it won't be one single intervention that leads to a behaviour change. It can be a whole series of interventions over a period of time. And it's sometimes quite difficult to identify the particular factor that leads to somebody deciding to make a lifestyle change. And that is why... Um, MEC and other approaches are actually it's quite difficult to measure outcomes. So who is MEC for and where can it be delivered? So making every contact count is uh, appropriate training for anyone, anyone who works with people in their day-to-day roles and that could be volunteering or in in a paid job. So that includes people across health and social care and the voluntary sector. Uh, So the conversations can be taking place uh, opportunistically in in the workplace, in health settings, and it could be at a bus stop. And lots of people who do the training find that it also um, applies to to their, 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 their personal lives as well. So it helps people to think about the conversations they're having in all different contexts. Yeah, so just to build on, on what Claire said, I think... I think we recognise that 
anybody who has a role where they're in contact with other people um, can play a potential role in promoting health. So certainly at national level, we'll look at promoting these approaches to different groups of staff, ranging from um, healthcare professionals, healthcare support workers, the emergency services, such as the, the fire service, the ambulance service, and starting to, to look at the police service as well. Um, it's got a role within the education sector and within the leisure services. It can be delivered within health services, for example, in schools, um, anywhere and where, wherever there's an opportunity. Um, and quite a lot of the people who've had the training um, say that it has positive effects on their own attitude towards their health and well-being, and they start using um, MEC-type conversations with the members of their own family and their own social networks. So it's a tool. It has the potential to have a very wide impact over many, many millions of people. And the work that the Royal Society for Public Health has done with the Centre for Workforce Intelligence suggests that we can be talking about perhaps 15 to 20 million people have the opportunity to um, to deliver MEC-type conversations as part of their day-to-day -day life. At a, a, a regional level and um, more locally, when organisations are implementing making every contact count, uh, an unintended sort of benefit or outcome of delivering uh, MEC training has been that whole teams have been able to do the training together and it's been uh, like a team building exercise almost and people have really enjoyed being able to come together uh, having admin staff and senior sort of leaders and clinicians to all kind of connect uh, to be able to, to to develop their skills to support people and I mean we're aware of many um, case studies um, where MEC has been delivered across local authorities um, to people like catering staff, um, street cleaners, for example, there's a very good example in the northeast where um, the street cleaners had the, the um, MET training and I think between them they, they lost about 15 stone, uh, some incredible achievement because they were working together so, and they really took the messages on board. I think it's important to add that it's a tool. The training enhances uh, people's skills and their everyday work. So it's not intended to make people's working lives more difficult and more onerous and giving them more things to do. It's about supporting people to be more effective with the time that they already have with the people that they're working with. So could you comment on the evidence base for these approaches? I think that it's fair to say there's probably more evidence around brief interventions around alcohol um, and drug misuse. Um, but we're starting to build case studies. And I think that's one of the things we really need to do as we go forward. And um, we mentioned earlier that it's it's not always one single intervention, um, mech intervention that will lead to a behaviour change. It's It's more of a slow burn. Um, but the more case studies that we can build, the more we can build the sort of the evidence for MET being effective. In terms of 
implementing Making Every Contact Count at a local level, organisations who are training and developing their workforces to be able to have the healthy conversations. There's also a lot of work around supporting the implementation to allow organisations to evaluate the uh, conversations and the implementation of MEC, such as capturing case studies and recording the number of conversations. And there are a number of different mechanisms that organisations can use to begin to build this evidence base. And there isn't one size fits all in terms of evaluating a programme, although consistency is important, but there is something about fitting with what organisations are already doing to, to build the picture up. And I mean, the other thing to add to that is if you look at the size of the, just for example, the NHS workforce, um, um, let's give community pharmacies an example. So we've got figures that there are about 1.2 million health related visits to community pharmacies every day. Um, so that amounts to over 400 million visits a year. And that provides a huge opportunity for health promoting type interventions and um, making every contact count activity. It's about having a range of approaches and across all different settings and all different workforces and having that consistent approach. So somebody could have a conversation with their GP and then a similar conversation with their pharmacist, with the librarian, somebody from the fire service and if everybody is using a similar approach which is about empowering people and supporting people to come up with their own solutions then people will be able to sort of travel along and, and be supported to improve their health and well-being. And sometimes you know an intervention can be as simple as saying to somebody look um, if you're thinking about losing weight um, here is some information about, about local weight loss services and just handing over information and leaving the conversation at that. Does it, they don't, they're not, as, as we've said earlier, they don't have to be in-depth conversations. It's about planting the seed, supporting people to take that first step in the journey to support somebody or to explore what they've maybe considered previously what's worked, what's not worked so well. It's not necessarily about taking somebody through that entire behaviour change journey, but actually helping them to, to work out what step they would like to take or what their next step might be. What would be involved in getting trained up in MEC and what training opportunities are there? Somebody who was enrolled on, on MEC training would expect to cover things like communication skills, you know, what skills do you need uh, to, to initiate healthy conversations. You would also expect to cover information about healthy lifestyles and some of the sort of facts and figures around um, things like smoking and risks to health, obesity and the effects of, um, you know, not taking enough physical activity. So you'd cover that at a fairly basic level. Um, and then the key thing really is around building confidence around um, good communication and there are different ways of doing that. So yes, making every contact count training is about providing people with the underpinning knowledge of why it's important to support people to consider their health and well-being and what support can be offered. 
giving them some basic uh, information as to the lifestyle topics. It's not about turning people into experts or becoming nutritionists or physical activity um, gurus. It's about people having a basic understanding of what perhaps the government guidelines are in, in relation to perhaps alcohol units, amount of physical activity. So just to have a solid understanding of what the, the the guidance and the, the messages are and absolutely it's around developing the confidence so the skills and face-to-face -face training would be a good way of ensuring that people become more confident uh, to be able to have those conversations so there are different mechanisms and ways in which people can gain those competencies around making every contact count so the knowledge might be acquired from a face-to-face -face training session um, delivered by a trainer or there are e-learning programs available but the skills development is, is more often acquired through face-to-face -face, uh, workshop style training. So there are a whole plethora of courses available as Claire says uh, and I would expect sort of a basic MET training package would be sort of about sort of half half a day to a full day of training or about six or seven hours of learning if, if it was being done through a sort of distance learning route. Um, and there are many, many options. So, for example, um, at national level within Health Education England, we have got... Um, three different e-learning packages that are available and they're free of charge. Um, they were developed in different parts of the country for different audiences. The messages are the same, but we've retained three because we think it's important that people have a choice. So for example, we have a very good package that was launched last year that was developed for London and the South. And that was um, a collaboration between um, Kent, Surrey and Sussex, and Thames Valley and our London teams. Uh, we have a very good other package available from the West Midlands, um, and then a slightly shorter behaviour change module that was developed in the Northwest. But I, just to add to that, really, the e-learning type packages really can only deliver the knowledge. It's very difficult to develop good communication skills through a distance learning type course. The e-learning programme that was developed by uh, Kent, Surrey, Sussex, Thames Valley and Wessex includes four modules. It has an introduction to um, making every contact count and an introduction to the skills as well as an overview of the different lifestyle topics. And there's also a module to support organisations and people to think about that signposting. If people have very limited time, um, in the interactions that they're having, it's important they know where to signpost people to get more appropriate support. So we mentioned earlier about the very brief intervention all the way up to an extended or a high intensity intervention. So there are people who have been trained uh, who are more equipped to, to provide that in-depth one-to-one behaviour change support. So as well as the types of courses that are uh, provided um, through Health Education England, there are many, many other providers. Just to give you an example, um, the Royal Society for Public Health, um, they have a suite of vocational qualifications that will lead to a more formal award. Um, most of those are level two type qualifications, um, 
The most popular one of those is called Understanding Health Improvement, and that's delivered either as face-to-face training or by distance learning, and it, I think it's about seven hours of learning. The Royal Society for Public Health also accredit a number of other um, training programmes, such as Healthy Conversations Skills, so there's that training quality um, marker there because they accredit the programmes. The Making Every Contact Count National um, Advisory Group, which is jointly between Health Education England and Public Health England, have a suite of resources to support the implementation and delivery of of MEC. And one of uh, those resources is a training quality um, standards uh, to provide some guidance to people who are commissioning or developing and delivering MEC training. So what other national tools are there for supporting behaviour change? Um, So as Claire has mentioned, um, the National MEC Advisory Group produced um, a suite of tools and they were published at the beginning of 2016. Um, One of the first things that was published was a a consensus statement and that was a really powerful document as we've mentioned before. Um, In the early days, MEC meant different things to different people and by producing that statement which contains some of the existing evidence plus um, a consensus definition um, um, quite an achievement was that we were able to get um, a whole range of different organizations signed up to it such as NHS England, local government association, um, PHE and HE and so on, Royal Society of Public Health and many more. So Claire's already mentioned the fantastic implementation guide that was based on work that was done in Wessex. We also have um, a quality marker checklist um, so that organisations that are developing or commissioning MEC training um, have some markers on what good training should look like. There's also a fantastic evaluation framework, and that was developed for the group by Sarah Jewell based on work that she'd done in Kent, Surrey and Sussex, which was really to help people um, to measure the impact of training that's been put in place. So it's a very useful document in terms of looking at what types of what are the inputs that can be measured, such as the number of hours training, the number of people training, and so on. Um, Looking at the process in terms of what's being delivered, um, what resources are needed to deliver the actual service, and then the outputs in terms of what people are doing differently as a result. Um, And hopefully, um, through that tool, we can start to measure the actual impact the MEC is having. Are you aware of any case studies and exemplars of where MEC has been successfully implemented? Um, yep, and one very good example is uh, within the fire service. So, for example, um, I think the fire service almost had to invent themselves, reinvent themselves a few years ago um, because they were so good at putting out fires that their role really changed from one from one of kind of being reactive to, to looking at prevention. Um, so the fire service started going around into people's home and advising on fire safety and how to prevent fires. And that presented a fantastic opportunity um, for talking to people. Um, 
they've done a lot of work with the elderly, particularly around falls prevention and, and how to make their homes safer um, to, to help to prevent falls. Um, so, yes, there's lots of evidence now that um, the fire service are having a very big em- impact. An example of how uh, MEC has been implemented at a regional level would be um, illustrated through Wessex. Uh, the School of Public Health at Health Education England in the Wessex region uh, had a role um, to support the implementation of MEC, which included the development of um, a toolkit, um, a train the trainer program uh, through healthy conversation skills, which is accredited by the Royal Society for Public Health. In addition to that, there's um, an e-learning program, and more recently, a uh, MEC coordinator has been taken on to support the implementation and, and rollout of MEC across the region. There's a network where different organisations, so this includes representation from local trusts, from higher education institutes, from the voluntary sector, from the local authority and the public health teams. And in Hampshire, there's a a two-tier local authority system. So we have Hampshire County Council, which supports a number of boroughs. So there are then sort of sub-networks under the main sort of Wessex network. And within this, there's a range of implementation across organisations of all different sizes. So you have trusts of of thousands of people who are embedding Making Every Contact Count through their learning and management systems, through embedding the e-learning, through establishing um, Making Every Contact Count through sequins and ensuring that staff are trained. So they embed the train the trainer through their maybe their vocational skills, and then another example would be at local authority level, whereby networks are established to support all different organisations across a particular region to come together and network. So Gosport Borough Council is an example where this has happened and their wellbeing partnership officer has supported the local leisure centre, the library services, um, youth services, uh, GP practices, a whole range of people to come together. They've trained um, together and they meet regularly to support each other with uh, implementation and, and sharing of best practice. One of the things that we talked about quite a lot at national level was what incentives can we put in place to encourage organisations to um, start to kind of change the culture in the workplace so that there's sort of more people were delivering MEC. Um, One of the successes that we've had is that there's actually now um, a statement within the National NHS Standard Contract um, that NHS organisations should have Uh, should be putting plans in place for how they're going to roll out MEC approaches. Um, That's fairly new. That was only put into the contract in 2016. Um, So we're not quite sure yet whether that's being measured. We suspect it isn't. But certainly what we'd like to think about going forward is what other incentives we can put in place um, to support local authorities and others to start to to deliver MEC more widely. 
Claire, you mentioned the use of sequins. Um, could you just expand on that? Uh, could you explain what, what a sequin is and, and how it relates to incentivizing the implementation of MEC in the health service? Yes, sorry. So a sequin is established between sort of commissioners and um, trusts and organisations, as you say, as a, an incentive to get commitment and buy-in across an organisation. And there are some key performance indicators, so some measurements are put in place to assess how uh, how well an, uh, an organisation is taking that forward. So an example uh, would be that an organisation would then develop an entire strategy around how they're going to implement MEC, how many people are going to be trained from what departments um, and how they're going to measure the, the impact of that, that training and what other measures are going on to support the cultural change. It's not just about training staff, but what else is going on within that organisation to support prevention and health improvement uh, more broadly. What are the common challenges and pitfalls for implementing MEC in practice and how can these be overcome? I think that's the $6 million question um, that everybody's sort of trying to find answers to. I think it's fair to say um, that, you know, the workplace is very busy, we're all very busy, um, and a lot of people will say, well, I'd like to do this, but I haven't got the time. Um, it's also, it's about the, the culture in which people are working. As we've said all along, these are very, very short interventions. They really don't need to take up a lot of time. So what we really need is um, the leaders in, in the system to be showing the way and creating um, a different culture so that this becomes the norm and not something extra that has to be squeezed in. I think another challenge to implementing MEC, uh, which I've experienced, is people understanding what it is. And I think to overcome that, having a clear understanding and explanation of what it is and as Janet said not about doing something extra um, not demanding more from an overstretched workforce but actually how it can support workforces to be more effective and more efficient with the time that they do have and actually how it can be quite a helpful tool to empowering staff um, through empowering people that they're working with to uh, to explore for themselves um, what they can do and how they can be supported to make those changes. Another challenge is often that people might think that they're already doing it. They might think that they already know how to have a healthy conversation. They might feel that they give people information about health and well-being and because they give people leaflets or direct them onto other services. And what we found is through delivering the training and when people actually have that time and that space to be able to practice and develop those skills, that they often realise that they understand the behaviour change theory, as we've talked about, the COMBI model and, and why it might be important, but then... It's a, it's a skill and it takes some time to practice it and often people find that when they do the training that they really appreciate the opportunity to, to, to reflect, to reflect on their own practice um, and how they can um, brush it up. 
So there's also something about once people have done their training that that's not that's not it it's about encouraging people to continuously reflect on their practice and even if people have done some form of behavior change training uh, previously to encourage them to think about what what they can take away from it as a as a refresher there's always something to to be learned to to brush up on our skills because they can get rusty um, and there's also, just to add in, there's something about listening more. Um, I'm aware that there was some research done uh, within pharmacy where um, some focus groups uh, established that pharmacists thought that they were quite good at communicating with their patients. Um, but what the actual study showed where the pharmacists were observed was they were very good at giving information and telling people things but what they weren't very good at was listening to the patients and listening to what was important to them and I think that's really key to a healthy conversation that this is about the individual um, making a lifestyle choice and it the change has got to come from them this is not about us as health professionals and wider health and social care workers telling people what they should be doing could you describe the context and importance of using all the levers that we have available to ensure that MEC and other behaviour change approaches are embedded across the whole workforce, including postgraduate medicine, dentistry and pharmacy and the wider public health workforce? So Making Every Contact Count is a programme that's being rolled out and implemented with existing workforces across the country through um, the health and social care and wider workforces in terms of voluntary sector. There's also a lot of work that's taking place um, supported by Health Education England in terms of embedding, not just making every contact count and behaviour change, but more broadly, the essential public health competencies, the skills and knowledge that the um, workforces of the future, the individuals who are being trained um, uh, in medical schools and in other clinical um, areas, the allied health professionals, so nurses, midwives, physios, to make sure that people who are going to be working with the public in the future are also developing the same skills. So providing some consistency for uh, the entire workforce, so future workforces as they go out on placement are developing and using the same skills that the existing workforces are being trained in. There's also something around, you know, making the best of the, the resources that we have available to us in these financially constrained times. So what we've tried to do nationally is to, to explore and join up and link the work we've been doing around making every contact count with other initiatives. So, for example, um, we've been talking to the team at Public Health England um, that have developed the All Our Health Evidence Framework um, for Health Promotion. Um, we are joining up with NHS England, who are doing work around health literacy. Um, and health literacy is, is really important in relation to MEC, um, where there's some research um, that's shown that sort of as many as 60% of people don't understand sort of basic health information that they've been given by a health healthcare professional and they don't understand the instructions they've been given about where to go if they've got an appointment 
for example, a hospital and navigating around the system. Um, so there's something about joining up. There's something about the national um, leadership bodies such as um, NHS England, Public Health England, Department of Health, Health Education England um, and NICE all joining up and giving consistent messages. What cultural and behavioural change is needed to enable staff to incorporate these techniques into their practice? I agree there is a, a cultural and a behavioural change needed in terms of enabling staff to embed making every contact count. In the Wessex area, they've developed a, an implementation toolkit which addresses this. So in addition to the train the trainer and training individuals in healthy conversation skills, the implementation toolkit has been developed to support organisations to think about the culture and what else can be done in terms of, um, for example, securing senior leadership buy-in. So if you have agreement as a whole organisation that it's important and that the, um, the staff will be encouraged and supported to have healthy conversations with the people that they're working with, there's something around looking at the existing um, systems and processes that are in place. So it's not it's not anything that's new. A lot of organisations are doing a lot of great work around supporting people to improve their health and well-being around the prevention agenda. So there's something around actually recognising what's already being done and being done well, and perhaps where the gaps are and where activity can be strengthened. And we've also discussed um, evaluation, how that's an important part of it. And if by gathering case studies and some strong sort of um, data as to how effective it's being, that can build the case for maintaining it and continuing to embed it and that it becomes sort of business as usual um, rather than a, a project or, or a programme that's being implemented. I mean, I think there's, there's no one approach that's going to help here. If you look back at the NHS five-year forward view, um, in order to close the health gap, that document says we need to have a radical upgrade in prevention and public health work. Um, and going back to the sort of behaviour change theory that's taught as part of MEC um, and looking at the COMBI model, the capability, opportunity, motivation to change behaviour, that needs to be applied to system leaders and to organisations as well. Um, I think this is a slow burn, but if it very slowly starts become becoming more normal uh, to people who are interacting with the health and care sector, that they're that to expect to have a conversation about well-being um, as well as having a conversation about um, sorting out a particular health problem, um, then I think that's where we need to get to. I think we just need to keep sort of banging the drum and, um, you know, keep promoting this as, um, as a way forward. What resources can Health Education England offer to the system, including local workforce advisory boards, and sustainability transformation plans or STPs to support people and organisations to implement MEC approaches? Okay, well, I've, we've talked quite a lot about all of the um, national MEC resources and the e-learning programmes and the, and the other training that we can offer. Um, 
But one of the other things that we've done um, to support the development of the sustainability and transformation plans is we've collected together information about local activity um, across HEE around prevention and making every contact count. So we've put that into a document which is available on our website um, so that the local workforce action boards um, who will be responsible for implementing the plans will be able to see what activity is going on locally um, and what what resources are available locally and who to contact. Um, So that's one thing. Um, And the other thing that we've done is that we have... um, revamped and relaunched um, our Making Every Contact Count website. Um, so for those of you who are not aware, the website address is www.makingeverycontactcount.co.uk. Um, that was a domain that was originally developed by what was the Yorkshire and Humber Strategic Health Authority. It was developed around about 2010, it had some very good resources on there. Um, but it had laid dormant for a few years and it hadn't been refreshed. So um, over the last few months, we've been working very hard to to revamp that, to give it a new look. And there is masses and masses of information there about what's available to people and organisations to support them in delivering MEC. And we've also provided links to... um, other relevant initiatives and other relevant websites and sources of information. So we're really actively promoting that website um, as a tool um, that the that's available to the LWABs, local workforce action boards, and to others um, who want to start to um, to push push MEC harder in the workplace. There's a very useful tool that's been developed by our team in the northwest. Um, um, that's um, they've developed for HEIs, that's um, higher education institutes, to be able to benchmark um, what they're doing within their own courses around prevention um, and MEC. Um, and that um, tool was developed um, alongside the Public Health England's Personalised Care Population Health framework which is now all our health um, it's been piloted very successfully in the northwest with nurses and the allied health professions um, but it has broader use across all of the, the um, professional educational groups so we are promoting its use across all of HEE. So do you, do you have any closing remarks? Only to say that I think making every contact count is really, really important. Yes, there are some challenges in how we implement it effectively with workforces. There are pressures across the system. People are, you know, massively overworked already. However, uh, it's essential and really important, as Janet has alluded to already, the NHS five year forward view demands a radical upgrade in prevention. We really need everybody to be thinking about what they can do to not just fix people once they're already sick, but what we can do to prevent people from getting ill in the first place and how we can support people to to not get ill again. 
prevention um, is a very, very small part of the NHS, but it's absolutely critical to support the NHS going forward that more is done to, to support, well, to prevent people from getting ill in the first place. And making every contact count isn't a magic bullet. There is no single answer, but it's certainly one approach. So by empowering workforces to empower the people that they're working with to enable people to come up with their own solutions, we can support people to improve their their health and well-being. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And given um, the frightening statistics that are around these days about sort of the proportions of health-related problems that are preventable, really don't think the NHS and other organisations, they can't afford not to do this. Um, and really, they really do need to be focusing more about around prevention rather than just treating sickness, as Claire has said. Health Education England has a very important role in system leadership of this cultural change. I think uh, we need to use our levers in a much more powerful way uh, to influence undergraduate curricula and also to uh, influence the uh, development of the workforce and the transformation of the workforce within the workplace. I think not only do we need to facilitate our workforce in terms of how they interact with the population as a whole, but we need to equip them with a series of tools which allows them to have conversations uh, with people which will genuinely affect behavioural change. We cannot uh, any longer just expect to tell people what to do and expect them to, um, to adhere and comply uh, to that without understanding um, the, the whole gamut of uh, conditions that make people behave in a specific way. The thing that we have to realise as a health professional population is it is everybody's business within our workforce to try and improve the health and well-being of our population and their own understanding of how they keep fit and well throughout a lifetime. It is not and should not just be left to those people who have a special interest in this uh, area, but we are all public health and population health practitioners um, and we need to take that responsibility, uh, grasp it um, and effect change uh, so that we can have a healthy uh, and wealthy population uh, over the next decade. Many thanks to Claire Cheminard, Janet Flint and Jed Byrne for sharing their insights on MEC and behaviour change. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can also access links to further resources mentioned in the episode. I welcome your comments and feedback and suggestions for future episodes, which you can send via Twitter using hashtag PHDevelop. Many thanks for listening and hope to see you next time.